He's out with a driver now. Now, I'm not sure this is right. Although, he's had a four and two threes on this hole. He's going to be at least three shots ahead. Welcome to Bros and Birdies, a golf podcast that aims to bring the golf news, chatter and guests from every walk of the golfing world. And we aim to pick the winners of the golf tournaments on the PGA, DP World and Live Tours. On the show this week, we will be reviewing the RBC Heritage win for Matt Fitzpatrick at Harbortown last week. We'll be discussing the good, the bad and the ugly. And we'll be chatting about what Keith Pelly had to say in his interview this week with Michael McEwen from Bunkered.com. And obviously, we'll be previewing the tournaments this week. We will not be previewing the Zurich Classic. It's not a tournament for us on the PGA Tour. But we will be previewing the ISPS Hander from Japan and live heads to Australia for the Grange Club in Adelaide. Now, to do all that, we've got to get Big Bro in. So here he is. Hello, bro. How are you doing? Another week in the wonderful world of golf. Yes, mate. It has been another wonderful week. Some great stuff to talk about. Obviously, we'll look back at last week's RBC Heritage and an English winner on tour again. Um, it's an interesting week because you know, we, there's an interview that we've got to discuss. Um, Keith Pelly's chat with Michael McEwen. Um, We'll talk about that a bit later. We've got the good, bad and the ugly, as we said in the intro. But let's let's start off. And I must say, by the way, I must say, my golf swing is improving <laughs> considerably, <laughs> considerably, oh. right? I've been going down the driving range once a week, twice a week. My son is 18. He's really getting into golf. I got him a set of clubs when he was 16, um, hoping that he would get the bug and we could go out and play a bit of golf. Um Went down a driving range a few times, but now he, I don't know where it's come from, but he's got the bug, right? Loves it. Maybe it's because we're doing this podcast and he thinks, you know, yeah, I'm going to get on there one day and talk about golf and learn about golf. But he loves it. He's bought the stuff. He's buying more clubs. He's ball. He's going on driving range three times a week. He's playing. He's getting out the course. He's thinking about becoming a member. Now, that is fantastic. Um, but I would like to talk, I think next week or the week after, we really need to get some people on and talk about the game of golf for the youngsters and what clubs are doing out there to encourage youngsters into the game. You know, there was a bit this week in the press about trying to get people to go to schools and get people encouraged to come to the golf course, make it more accessible, less stuffy, et cetera, et cetera. And there is bits on that from Scandinavia where they're, they're changing the whole process surrounding youth golf and encouraging youngsters to the game. And perhaps that was starting a long time ago. And we've seen that, especially with Denmark, with the, the emergence of some fantastic golfers across Scandinavia. So, I want to talk about that, and I hope my son is sort of feeling that around the sort of social media aspect, and that's where he's getting his love for golf. But anyway, I just thought I'd tell you, my swing is is unbelievable. Mate. Well, it's much I'll tell better. You what, after that ramble, absolute ramble, right? I'd say I'm quaking in my boots at the fact of getting back on the golf course with you because it just sounds like 
I don't know. It sounds like a bit of a, a year ago. Phil Mickelson versus Cam Smith. This is how it's going to be. Well, I'll tell you this for nothing, bro. Right. I haven't been to the driving range yet this season, and I'm really disappointed about that. But I'm going to be, and I'm going to be challenging you this year. I don't care whether you've been on the range hitting it well with your Dunlop bloody driver or whatever. Yeah. Hey, do not question that driver. <laughs> I, I went... So my local Kingsway driving range um, for um, Melbourne, just in Cambridgeshire, about 20 minutes outside of Cambridge. I did a little review on social media of it. It's a fantastic place. where They've got this lovely section of pre-loved golf clubs. And I took a few of the sort of last season's drivers, some great drivers, you know, Nike, Ping, all that. I took them all out. And I was swinging them. All got to have a stiff shaft because, hey, hey, you know, I love a stiff shaft. Steady on. Um, but my old Dunlop, it must be about 12 years old, right? This driver, 10 and a half degree, stiff shaft. Love it. I've been stripping that down the center, 270 with the range balls. And I cannot wait to get out. I'm playing tomorrow oh, after work. God, right? I'll tell you what. I'm yawning. I'm yawning. Uh, here we go. You bring it on. God. Hey, I tell you what, <laughs> I hope you have I hope you have improved because it was so it was such a shambles last year playing against you. I tell you what, it's like taking candy from a baby. So I hope you have improved and stop focusing on your lawn bowls, your big old softy, <laughs> and get down that driving range. Right. Excellent, excellent. Let's get into last week's RBC Heritage at the wonderful Harbour Town Links Hilton Head. An iconic golf course, obviously given elevated status this year. Matt Patrick, surprisingly, has turned around and said, yes, they should keep it at this time of the year and keep it elevated. Of Matt, course, he would Matt say Patrick. that. Matt Patrick, that, who's that? Oh, you know, um, <laughs> Matt Patrick Fitz and <laughs> Fitz Match Patrick. I don't know. Anyway, right. Matt Fitzpatrick, Sheffield Steel. <laughs> what a win. Yes, what a win. Um Gutted, absolutely gutted, because I had Jordan Spieth as one of my picks, as listeners will know from last week. And I actually, I, I still can't believe, even to this point, on a Tuesday evening doing a podcast in the UK, how Jordan Spieth lost that RBC last week. He had two were you great... One of, were, were you one of those Muppets shouting, USA, USA? What, you from me seat to... in the UK? No, I, I thought that was a bit disrespectful, actually, to be honest with you. Was it, it? it wasn't wasn't needed. And actually, Jordan Spieth was like, you know, where you say, quiet it down, lower it down, because Fitzpatrick was getting over a putt or whatever. But yeah, it's um, yeah, not great to see, is it? I mean, in Ryder Cups, yeah, I get it. But in a regular PGA Tour of a elevated, um, event, elevated status or not, it's not needed. But let's get back to the golf, right? Spieth should have won that. He had two great chances in the playoff. How his putt on 18 in the first playoff hole missed, I, I do not know. I don't think the crowd knew. He didn't know. He was just gobsmacked. And he should have closed the door there and then. It was a great putt. Just a little bit of pace more on it. And it would have held its line middle of the hole. Second playoff hole, similar I think he was inside Matt Fitzpatrick on the 17th, the par three, tough par three, 17th. Um, Fitzpatrick hit a lovely shot, almost identical to his shot at 17 in regulation. But Spieth got inside, has had an easier putt, I think. And again, just a little bit of pace dropped off, but he should have won it. And then on the third playoff hole, third time lucky, 
Fitzpatrick. Amazing approach into 18 to within what some called six inches. Now, if that was six inches, Jesus Christ, they must be dreaming. It was probably about 10, but it was a great shot. <laughs> and <laughs> Spieth just, yeah, Spieth put his second shot, you know, eight iron, I think, into the green over the back, left himself a really difficult putt and game over. So, yeah, amazing. And the amazing story for Fitzpatrick as well is that he's been going there to that event with his parents since he was six years old. So he had a love for the place. And it was he said afterwards in his interview with um, Amanda Renner is that, you know, it, it was the one place outside of a major PJ Tour event that he would want to win and, and he won it. And, you know, again, great playoff, great golf, um, a, an amazing three ball to finish off on the Sunday, Fitzpatrick Spieth and uh, Cantlay, uh, obviously impacted by the slow play of Cantlay. Jesus Christ, that man's boring. And we'll get on to probably a little bit more of that if you want, but it was an amazing leaderboard. I know you didn't see much of the golf on Sunday. I watched all of it. I was gripped to it. It was a great tournament. It had um, the cream up there at the top of the leaderboard. And, you know, maybe the time time is right. The time is nigh to get into the whole Rory, Ram, etc. And as you called it, the intro, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, but yeah, well, can't, let's do that. Can't let's do it. that. Let's do that. Look, $3.6 million to Matt Fitzpatrick, 500 FedEx points. Let's quick look at the FedEx standings um, after 11 stroke 13 events, depending on how many they played. But Rahm sits at the top, Scheffler second, Max Homer, obviously that early form, early season form in third place. Whereas Matt Fitzpatrick has moved up to 22nd in the FedEx, um, only played 11 events. Right, let's talk about the good, the bad and the ugly. Let's start off with the good. And the good has to be the way Rahm handled the questions um, after the bad, which was Rory. With no explanation whatsoever of his withdrawal and the reasons for his withdrawal from the RBC following his shambolic Masters performance. Now, it could he could have an absolute valid reason. You know, it doesn't know us an explanation, but I think the way that golf media is and the way that Rory has been the mouthpiece of the PGA Tour, sticking you know going on about the elevated events and you know people having to play them and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, obviously, he missed the early tournaments on the elevated status. And this is now his second tournament he's missed. Um, three million pounds, he's going to be... Million dollars, um, three million dollars. Three million dollars. Hey, I'll tell you what, the way this UK um, government's going, it won't be far off pound yeah, for, for dollar. One. So, yeah. But um, but yeah, it's three million dollars PIP money. Now, it's ridiculous. PIP wasn't, PIP wasn't here a couple of years ago. So it's ridiculous. Like, how do they... Let's get into this, bro, right? What? So... How do they know? They're just taking it for granted. Is that how pathetic Pip is? That they just take it for granted? Rory's going to get at least three million quid from the twenty-three season Pip. Oh well, yes, is the short answer to that. We know there is a scientific method to how Pip is going to be determined, but you can pretty much guarantee who are going to be the top five of Pip already. Um, you know, all those that those pit payments that have been given out, the the kind of the golden nuggets and stuff. So, yeah, it's a projection of you know essentially the penalty that he's going to have to pay for missing the second elevated event of the season. And you know, the agreement was all right. You can miss one based on your schedule and stuff, but 
Um, you know, listen, whether you agree or not with what PIP is and the payments, etc., it's going to happen. And yes, there should be a penalty. But is $3 million a penalty to Rory McIlroy? No, it isn't. It absolutely isn't. So it's a non-event. What I'm more disappointed at in someone like Rory McIlroy, and in our good, bad and ugly, he is the bad in this occasion, is there was no interviews after the Masters and there was no explanation about not playing an elevated event. I hear what you say. He doesn't owe us an explanation, but actually he does owe the golf world because, you know, a lot of people are interested in the brand Rory McIlroy what he stands for in the game of golf, what he's achieved, what he will go on to achieve. And so, yeah, I, I think he does owe that. And it's disappointing to see that he couldn't come up Listen, with what if he just co- what if he just come out and said, like he's, he's, he's talked about in the past, doesn't like Harbour Town, doesn't suit mm-hmm. his game. If he just come out and said, look, I'm really not feeling it. I'm disappointed with my master's performance and my head's in a wrong place. I don't really like the course. It can only do more damage. I'm going to pull out. I understand it's a second event. Hold my hands up, throw whatever you want at me, but they're the reasons I'm being open and honest, right? Because on the other side of it, you had John Rahm, who is basically the way these two are going at it now. And Rahm has had a go sort of in a roundabout way about Rory and the mouthpiece and what's happening with Tiger Woods and the TGL, et cetera. He's been different. You know, Rahm's, Rahm pretty much turned around and said, yeah, you know, I'd love to, I would have loved to not play this week. You know, I've just won the Masters, all my media, um, all my media stuff I've got to do. It's been a lot going on. I want to spend time with my young family and soak in that green jacket, jacket, right? But he has, and he come out and he said, look, I understand. I'm the Masters winner. People want to come and see me. They paid tickets to come and see the Masters winner, yep. the best in the world. I'm going to play. Absolutely. Hats off to him. I mean, that's the big difference, isn't it? Is, you know, Rory is getting a bigger and bigger petulance tag than ever before. And Ram doesn't have to do much to make him look so much better in the eyes of the golfing world, um, you know, Masters winners aside. But and he was honest, he, he did consider not turning up at the RBC, but mm. it got the you know, he he made the right decision at the end of the day. And what a performance, a tied 15th for John Rahm last week when you would have thought, you know, a Masters winner and stuff and everything that that takes out of you, in, including not just the play in the golf and the toughness of Augusta National, but the media obligations afterwards, everything that goes with it. I think he said he took a couple of days off, got there you know, a couple of days later than he would normally do for a tournament. But he committed to it and he played four rounds, solid golf when you probably didn't expect it. Well, I look at the 72 in the first round. Everyone goes, oh, OK, yeah, that's it. He's not going to be here at the weekend. Mm. And he actually, there was some there was some comments about um, about his round on social media and interviews after the after the first round. And he goes, "No, I'm here to play." And then he shot a 64 on the Friday. And you think, "Okay, right, that shuts everybody up." But yeah, hats off to John Rahm. So that was the good. And then he had the ugly. Slow and steady wins the race. The tear and the, the tear and the horses, the hare and the tortoise. <laughs> we had. I can't get my words out today. Patrick Cantlay, again, again, he came out at the, after the Masters and said, no, everyone was being held up. You know, we were we were being held up in front of us. It wasn't me that was um, the cause of the slow play. Well, I'm sorry, Patrick, 
But again, this week at Harbour Town, you proved everybody correct and you are slow as hell again. And it has to stop, bro, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. It has to stop. There has to be. We talked about it briefly, didn't we, last week after the Masters. Um, th- there really does have to be some kind of penalty uh, enforced on things like this because it is it's not only affecting the the viewing public in the game of golf but the people inside i mean you know we had billy foster was pulling all kinds of faces clearly getting frustrated <laughs> i love um, billy yeah. matt fitzpatrick's <laughs> caddy you know for anybody that was wondering who he was um john rahm equally you know he did he did a bit of commentary didn't he i think was it on twitter or something he was um, unfortunate to commentate as patrick <laughs> cantley was lining up a putt on a green uh, and, and it went on it. forever <laughs> you could absolutely read it you know patrick cantley's getting booed by fans because of the slowness but you know, again, antagonistic to a degree. Uh, Cantley had a hole in one last week and he did put a tweet out um, basically about this, you know, saying, oh, hole in one, speeding up the play kind of thing. Well, <laughs> y- you know, you're that slow. It's, I don't think that kind of antagonistic behavior is needed, but obviously, you know, his humor or whatever, but he is as dry as anything, isn't he, Patrick Cantley? Um, but well, yeah, not it's... on his face. No wonder he has to put so much sun lotion on his face because he's outside for so bloody long. <laughs> Jeez, that's why he puts sort of sun lotion on. So hurry the hell up, Patrick Cantley. Sort it out. We don't need rounds of golf lasting five and a half hours. No wonder people, I'm not saying they're turning to live, but the idea of live, you know, getting round shotgun starts and stuff like that, it's attractive. Right. It's attractive to people when this sort of golf is going on. We're having to put up with that behavior from a leading golfer. Right. So that was the good, the bad and the ugly. Let's go to an interesting point. Now, came out today um, or maybe yesterday, but I was listening to it today was an interview with Michael McEwen of Bunker.com. He had Keith Pelly chief executive of DP World Tour. Now, he's able to come out and start talking to people now because the arbitration case is over for now, and he's able to speak a bit more freely. And speak freely, he did. Um, It was quite interesting. We both had different takes on it. It was a difficult situation, and you could understand why Michael, as professional as he was um, during the chat, and he he held himself very well, um, it was, I just wish he was a little bit more tough and just ventured away from the script that he had and obviously would have had to send the questions in to Pelly and his team and they would have got you know agreed on but then Pelly as you listen to bro Pelly pushed back a little bit and and asked for opinions from Michael about certain things now I know you listened to it and you've taken some notes what did you what were the main points for you coming out of the interview it's interesting I I yeah, I had many notes on this because it was a an enlightening interview with Pelly. Now that they've discussed before, I think was it back in 2020 or whatever. And um, you know, this is there's been a lot that's happening or has happened in that couple of years since their first discussion. But it was my take from it was, I think. It wasn't fiery in the sense that maybe it'd been sort of built up to be that. I think there was elements of it. And, and you rightly point out is obviously there would have been a script and, and an agreement probably on what was allowed to be talked about or, or what, you know, he was 
expected to talk about. But the interesting thing I found about it was that the level of, you know, pushing it back on Michael, you know, in terms of the interviewer and almost almost trying to make him look silly or belittle him to a degree that that was you know some of my take on it in there was a couple of comments that were made in particular and and especially around this lazy narrative that Pelly was talking about you know and when I talk about lazy narrative he's talking about you know you've got all and sundry out there making comments about what's been happening DP World Tour Strategic Alliance live etc and you know a lot of people that don't know a lot of the facts and stuff and have just been drawing conclusions so he, he referred to that as a lazy narrative um and and he kept on going back to that piece and it was it was just you know i think it was awkward for for michael in terms of you know he he was obviously getting pushed back on but he was trying to then push it back and it was almost like he was being forced into the corner it's like well you answer the question it's like i'm going to put to you it's it's almost like i don't know i just felt like pelly had a almost like an axe to grind to a degree and so that was the fiery element to it i think um there was a number of other things in there is uh, i think in terms of the lazy narrative and stuff as well he was talking about the live reference and some some of the stars have been aggressive and hostile were the words that he used aggressive and hostile now that's interesting when you're in a position where you know obviously arbitration hearing has, has been made they're going through a 90 page document to that now determine um what next steps dp world tour are going to take with regards to sanctions etc etc to use those words when there is ongoing legal debates and there's probably going to be legal challenging i i find really interesting as to why why you would take that line because it's almost like a fighting fire with fire is it not no it is and it's it's difficult for my because i have such a disliking for not the man himself, because I don't know him, but the way he's handled the whole situation. Mm. So to listen to that, and I was thinking, oh, God, I wish I, I wish it was me. I wish it was me that was interviewing. And yes, you can have this lazy narrative that, that he calls it, but people would jump into conclusions because nothing was coming out. All we kept on hearing was strategic alliance, strategic alliance, strategic alliance. But no one really knew what it was all about. So the fact that you happen to jump to assumptions is not lazy narrative. It's trying to figure out, dot the I's and cross the T's with strategic alliance. It, I, I just don't, for me, I didn't understand when Michael had the chance, when he came back and said, you know, the DP World Tour is in its strongest position ever. I would have immediately hit back and gone, well, hang on a minute. Let me question you on that. At what point is the DP World Tour in the strongest position it has ever been in? Now, is he talking about the fact that money is coming in from the PGA Tour and PGA Tour own a percentage of the DP World Tour and they have Jay Monaghan on the board? Are they talking that sense that it's in the strongest position? No, my, are my, they? Yeah, but let me just interject there, bro, because I, I think you know you're asking um, 
valid questions there. But my take on that would be when he was talking about they're in the strongest point, I really thought he was talking about it from a typical kind of CEO, CFO standpoint around the balance sheet. The strength of the balance sheet of the PGA Tour is pretty strong. I don't think from, again, from outside looking in, from what we know, and what we know is that, you know, we're losing the best players to the PGA Tour as a result of the strategic alliance. Um, what we know is we're losing, you know, some of the best players that have obviously gone to live and will probably have continuing sanctions placed upon them where where it's necessary. Okay, um, just let me come back on yeah, that point on. that you've just made. So you, we're le- losing our players. Um, obviously, it's coming out with Nick Hoygaard's um, temporary membership of the PGA Tour, mm-hmm. been given that. Ryan Fox has been given that. And then also, so we've got these continual temporary memberships being given, but also then we've got the 10 best players who are not exempt going over to the, or had the chance to go over to the PGA Tour. So you can never, if you can, if you take Manchester City Football Club, right, and you, you take 10 best players at least away from their team for the next season, are they going to be in the strongest position they've ever been in? They're not. They're not going to be not able to challenge. from a playing point of view. No, they're not going to be able to challenge. Also, not from a financial the... point of view. Well, the, yeah, financial, the balance sheets doesn't mean jack shit to um, the players. Now, they keep on talking about their members and they're looking after their members. Well, a lot of their members have come out and turned around and said, well, I don't know. I don't know what's happening here. You know, you've had you've had players come out and saying, well, I don't think I'd go over and, and play on the PGA Tour mm. if I, even if I got a card. They want to support their own tour and for me you can talk about balance sheets until you're blue in the face but the money is there and they say there's extra prize money into the tournaments with all these you know the rolex events and what have you but outside of these special events these rolex events that will get you know the lordships coming over from the pga tour to come and play i don't see a great deal of investment going forward no one's talking about beyond four or five years you know, what yeah. happens if the PGA Tour don't honour their agreements beyond their current agreements, don't extend it, and all of a sudden the money falls out? They've got our best players, you know, two, three years of our 10 best players going over. All of a sudden there's no money. Perhaps there's no change to the official world golf rankings. It leaves our tour dead in the water. And it might look good now, the balance sheet. Right, I love the fact that he he tried he explained what a balance sheet was <laughs> exactly, as if yeah. <laughs> as if no one ever knew what a balance sheet. Thanks for that, Keith Pelly. Yeah, um, yeah. So it might look great at the moment. Okay, I could look my bank account could look great if if an American company put in millions of pounds. Right, that would look great, fantastic. But in four or five years' time, it might not look great. But in four years and five years' time, the players that are their members are still going to be playing. That's my problem. I don't see any vision going forward, and we haven't heard enough about this strategic alliance. Well, it's interesting because there was another. Let's just change direction a little bit because he was talking about obviously the the fallout from the arbitration hearing and and what the DP World Tour are now going to do. So, I think he was saying that they were now taking time to kind of you know. It's going to any decisions they make are going to be done on an individual by individual basis. And they're also going to be looking at the Asian tour and not just live as well. 
I think that was a big thing that came out of some of this discussion. And yeah, he actual, had a lot to say about the Asian. No, team, absolutely. He? And and again, quote from the discussion, you know, and I, I thought it was actually um, a, a, a bit of a damning statement, really, in terms of, you know, the, the live tour, the clear, um, the Asian tour, the clearly odds there. His, his comments were that he thought it was preposterous to compare the DP World Tour to the Asian tour as they are significantly less than them on the world stage. Now, as that currently sits, maybe so. Um, but everything that's going to shake out is, who knows? Who knows? I mean, you know, the Asian Tour are obviously uh, going to be in a little bit of a stronger position to try and attract some of the best players to play some of their events. Um, now, whether that's going to happen or not, I don't know. But it was interesting that, you know, they were looking at not just live and players going to live, looking at those players that are also playing on the, the Asian tour and, you know, well, have. You... Yeah, go on. Sorry, do you, do you think this is a sort of a response to this international series, which seems to be getting stronger and stronger? And as you said, you know, top players from the live tour will be going playing these events. And you've got the Fairmont St. Andrews event, which has been. Um, declared yes. do you think that's a response to them they're going oh, hang on a minute they're getting they're coming up they're getting close to our best courses here they're starting to put some great tournaments together i think he's threatened and i think that narrative about being you know people talk about this pga tour then it's the live tour then maybe corn ferry tour then it's a asian tour dp world tour look i'm not saying I'm not saying DP World Tour is fifth in line. I'm saying DP World Tour, as it stands right now, for me, and you can give me your opinion on this, I think we are still the second strongest tour in the world right now, as it stands. But I see us easily slipping to four or fifth if we don't book our ideas up. And the members, now let's listen to that. Anyone listen to that interview? Keith Pelly said he will remain there. He's got a job to do unless his members don't want him there. Yeah, that's I would exactly suggest, what he said. Yeah. I would suggest any of his members that are listening, any golfers, and we've had a few on the podcast, get rid of him. Well, yeah, I know, I know your view on that one and stuff. And it's interesting because, you know, that wasn't a question that Michael steered away from. He did, you know, he outright said, have you ever considered leaving your position? That response was not unless the players wanted it. So, you know, obviously you, you've got a, a bit of a power shift essentially going on there. But let, let's just go back a couple of steps as well, because, you know, in the role of CEO as well, and, and this goes back to the arbitration cases, and it's any corporation, any company, you know, I actually agree to some extent with what he said there is, you know, any company should be able to uphold its policies and procedures. I agree, term, yeah. yeah. And and that was the whole basis of their argument around the arbitration case. And obviously, you know, the arbitration panel, independent panel, ruled probably that as a significant part, you know, because the minute you go against that, then you do open up the door for a lot of other changes, not just in sport and probably elsewhere in terms of challenges and stuff. But yeah, any company, corporation, you know, they've really got to be able to be in a position to enforce those policies and procedures. Otherwise, you know, it's it's a dangerous, uh, dangerous walk, essentially. So that part of it, I didn't I didn't disagree with. The bit I did disagree with in terms of the reaction to the arbitration hearing and this 90 page document, you know, I I actually thought they would have been they would have had a number of scenarios essentially of, you know, if, if it went against them, went for them, what they would now be doing. He's now saying that they're actually going to take 
you know, a number of weeks to assess that 90 page document before they take this decision on an individual player by player basis around sanctions, etc. That to me, that doesn't sit well with me because I, I think they're already in a really good position um, to know exactly what they were going to do. I think it's it's legal beagles and and that rumbling in terms of probably what they're being inv- advised on is why they can't come out and say anything. We were hearing a couple of weeks ago, weren't we, that there were going to be statements made by certain players, etc. Mm. Yeah. Re- and that hasn't come out yet. So, well, but- I think live. I think live of like the certain players that are on live, the high profile ex DP World Tour players, if you like. Um, I think because we've spoken to a couple of them. And they're very keen to chat and they're going to come on. But as it stands at the moment, they're not in a position to talk to us, which is fine. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to come out of this. And do you know, here's a point, bro. You know, when you talk about individual case by case and see how the, they're welcome to play on the tours, but there'll be sanctions, yeah. right? What if they, what if Keith Pelly? looks at this as an opportunity to bring some extra money in. Let's what let's say he says, oh guys, yeah, you can come and play, but it's going to cost you 80,000 for argument's sake, or a hundred thousand, like they were fine. You can come and play your event and get some world ranking points and stuff like that, but it's going to cost you a hundred thousand. Let's see if the Saudi boys pump up that cash for you to come and play on it. I think it could be a mm-hmm. chance of them saying we could get some money in, but I'm not sure. But on the old official gold, what he said on the world golf ranking situation, he said the OWGR was something that mathematically made the most sense. And I definitely voted for it because mathematically it made the most sense and it was the most accurate. And as a board member, that's what my role was. And that's what the governance is. Now that's what Keith Pellett's word for word, what he said, right. On the changes brought in last year. Now I don't figure that out. Can you honestly turn around and say that Keith Pelly believed what he said there in the sense that mathematically mathematically it made sense and it's the most accurate but knowing and he voted on it knowing that it was going to damage his product <laughs> I, I don't know i mean who knows what's going through the head when you when you're looking at something like that obviously you know you wind the clock forward and go back to the conversation that they've had where they did talk about OWGR um, and actually, that was another area where he pushed back and said, "You know, what do you th- what do you think about the, the the official world golf rankings? What's its purpose, kind of thing?" And and so there was a bit of debate around that. And interestingly enough, I mean, regardless of what he thought about mathematically, it's the right thing or whatever. It seems now like there's been a, a bit of change of direction because there was alluded to conversations at Augusta National around the changes to the official world golf ranking system and essentially what's going to constitute part of the majors makeup. And it sounds like they're veering more towards a, well, majors in the future are going to be made up of a, you know, top 20 players from this tour, top 20 players from that tour, et cetera, et cetera. So it sounds like there's been quite a heavy discussion at Augusta National around that. And maybe we might see some more change in the OWGR in the coming well, months. Coming out tonight uh, are some high-profile names um, commenting on the interview um, hmm. regarding flushing it, put a few things out on social media. Um, Eddie Pepperell has come back and says, yes, in some respects, 
it isn't as you know it isn't in a strong position in other respects no he says long list of reasons behind why it isn't as strong as it should be or could be though not all should be blamed on keith is his opinion and one extremely high profile guy has turned around it's ian woosnam has turned around and says totally agree agree how many years has the dp tour been taken back under the control of keith pelly Ian Woosnam has Fighting. come out. Mm. Yes. So, look, we're going to hear a lot more of this. We're going to talk about it again next week because more reaction will come out from players, no doubt. And now Keith Pelly can talk. His mouth might just be constantly open. Well, um, it's interesting on that because he did say, didn't he? He said, you know, anything that's been discussed with players that went to live have come out in the media, you know, and again, he's, you know, we know of a couple of conversations specifically that he's probably referring to, but, and, and he was saying, you know, he hasn't been able to respond up to this point, whether he's been kind of legally tied or whatever, but it was, that was an interesting comment and another dig, at a lot of players, DP world tour players that have gone to live saying that they had the freedom to say what they wanted in the media. I wasn't, but now I've just said me peace. So, Maybe we close out on that point. It was an interesting yep. interview. Love to, love to speak to the guy, but I'm going to close out. Listening to that, I'm going to say he's very much Donald Trump-like, isn't he? I think he, he it's going to be great. It's when he was talking about the um, the summer of twenty three developments that are coming up. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah. So it, Donald Trump, uh, full of shit. You mean? <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Let's get. Let's move on from that. You can go and listen to the interview. It's out there on bunker.com on their socials, and we'll put a link up to it as well on our Twitter site. Um, right. Let's get into anything else to talk about before we get into the tournaments because we we talked about the temporary status briefly when we were just discussing this whole Keith Pelly thing with Nikolai Hoggard being given temporary membership to the PGA Tour so whether we'll see him much over here is um we'll wait to see which is a bit of a shame um I know you wanted to talk about something that a live player Jediah Morgan has come out and said yeah, exactly. Interesting one, just very quickly, is that, you know, he's he's come out and sort of said on social media that he's he's not happy with the lack of playing schedule on Live, which I find interesting for a player that's ranked 393rd in the world. And I know he's part of the Ripper GC, isn't he? But um, he may not get, you know, sufficient playing rights to obviously earn the points to keep him on Live next year. So... It's the first player, isn't it, that we've probably seen come out and make comments against Liv's playing schedule. Now, obviously, this year's schedule was originally not supposed to be as extensive as it is this year. 14 events, isn't it? I think they're playing this year. So I, I just find that very interesting that somebody, so, you know, for a venture so early on and only coming into the fourth event of the new season would make that kind of statement. So interesting to see how that one plays out for sure. Well, who wouldn't want to play more tournaments when there's four million to oh, the winner on, on the show? Of course. Of course. But another <laughs> exactly. player that's probably going to have to go and, you know, play on the Asian tour or, or any other tours that are going to grant invites or make him eligible for. Um, so, yeah, that's I mean, you know, there's a few other things in the world of golf that are floating about, but probably not worthy of a mention this week. I think we probably need to get into some tournaments this week, don't we? 
We do. Although we've got three tournaments to talk about, we are not going to talk very much about the Zurich. Um, it's not a tournament that really floats my boat. Um, no, it's, no. It's a few event. mates going around <laughs> it and a few balls and uh, team events and, you know, Ryder Cup. Yeah, got it. This event, even though we've picked the winners, um, the winners of it a few times over the last couple of years, um, last three years, I think we've had two winners. But I do want to mention the fact that I would suggest if I was going to pick somebody, I would suggest it was probably last week's winner, Matt Fitzpatrick, solely on the grounds of the fact that he'd love to win it to get his brother a PGA Tour card. Now, what bigger incentive um, have you got than that, really? No, absolutely. It's not going to happen, though, is it? Come on, seriously. You don't think so? No. Well, I'll tell you what, the way Sam Burns finished last week um, at the RBC, um, shooting a 65, I think he's partnering up with, is it Billy Horschel? Yes, he is. Um, yeah, I'd say, yeah. So maybe give them a go. But I, for me, I haven't got really any picks. Have you got any picks for it, bro? I, I To be honest, a bit boring. I can't see past Sander and Cantlay. This, you know, three to one is so short. That's why it's probably not worth a real go. But a little bit of each way value for me is um, Franny Molinari and Luke Donald at 140 to one. I see no reason in this kind of, you know, alternate shot format that we're going to see this week, uh, as well as obviously, you know, standard stroke play as well, um, you know, that they couldn't play well. You know, Molinari's not playing too bad. And, and Luke Donald's been, you know, certainly for two rounds of most tournaments he's played, he's been featuring highly. He's playing some decent golf. So 140 to one for an each way price is probably uh, something I would look at. But yeah, for me, it's it's Sander and Cantlay. Can't see past them at three to one. Molly and Donald for a bit of each way money, maybe. Well, good luck to Xander um, playing with... Um, yeah, it's going to be slow, isn't it? Slow boat. Right, OK. So let's move on to... It's great to have it back. We've got the DP World Tour back in a co-sanctioned event with the Japan Golf Tour. It should have been a co-sanctioned event last year, but it wasn't because of travel restrictions. Um, but unfortunately, will we get to see a great deal of it? Time zones, etc., etc. Anyway... What can you tell us about the course this week, bro? We are at PGM Ishioka Golf Club in Omatama, Japan. What can you tell us? Just north of Tokyo. Yes, it's a past 70 course, just a shade over 7,000 yards long. So short for tour standards. Uh, Jack Nicholas Design says it's the best course in Japan, in his opinion. So that's quite an interesting statement. He um, says any course that is designed, <laughs> he turns around and says it's the best course in Japan, best course in South Africa, like he did with St. Francis Links, did he not? Hey, he loves his own designs. What can you say? Well, you'd have to, wouldn't you? But anyway, that's what he says. Uh, it's a course, a parkland type course, sort of relatively tight fairways. Only two par fives on this par 70. And we've got a number of par fours that are sub 400 yards long. I think we're going to see a birdie fest here this week. I think we're going to see some players go low. Um, interestingly enough, KH Lee, who's you know playing really high on most PGA Tour events each week. He won here in 2015. Um, so just a few characteristics about the course, really. In terms of, uh, you know, I turned into weatherman this week. I actually had a look at the weather and we're looking at sunny most days with a high of 23 and a low of seven. And on the Friday, it could be cloudy with a bit of rain mixed in and winds throughout the 
four days of the tournament ranging between 10 and 20 miles an hour. So if that hasn't secured my interview for a BBC weather forecaster, I don't know what will. But yeah, that's a little bit about this course here in Japan. Um, so, you know, weather changing on Friday, a bit of heavy rain scattered about. I think, as I say, birdie fest. And my picks this week reflect a, a bit of value, I think. Okay. Well, yeah, the, this course was played last year um, on the PGM Championship on the Japan Golf Tour. You said very low scores. Absolutely. Anything over 70 are considered a poor score from the main protagonist, you would have thought. So we're looking for guys that relish the opportunity for birdie fests and fully take advantage. Now, I'm going to get straight into it. My first pick is the guy that won here last year in that PGM. It's Rakuya Hoshino. Stormed home last year and... Why not take a course-loving native born a stone's throw from the course? Seven pro wins at the age of 26 and currently at his highest ranking. Right. He's my first pick. He's 25 to 1. It's not a massive number. But horses for courses stick with the local. Yeah, that's that's an interesting view, isn't it? I mean, you know, we've talked in the past about, you know, course form is quite a premium when you're looking for, you know, a golfer and stuff. And so it, it's a, a very good place to start for sure. I think in terms of what I've looked at this week, you know, I've been looking at, you know, performances on the DP World Tour this year and kind of maybe also just trying to look for a bit of value, you know, players that have been playing decently. I know we've had a bit of a break on the on the DP World Tour and stuff, but hopefully my my stable of five golfers this week will give us a little bit of that in terms of ranges of prices as well. And also a little bit of a funny one out there, and I'll say why in a minute. But my first pick this week is yeah. something you're probably going to absolutely lambast me for. It's the Scottishman Bobby Mack. I just, I've got a feeling this week that Bobby Mack is going to have a really good tournament. We know he can be a birdie machine when he's in the right frame of mind. And I've seen something on his socials this week about what he's been doing to try and keep himself calmer on the course. So he's clearly working on the mental side of the game. And if he can address some of that, there's no reason why he can't bring you know, a good golf game to the course this week. 25 to 1 is what we're getting on Bobby Mack, and he's my first play. Yeah, they love a Big Mac in Japan. So, <laughs> hey, why not? Hey, do you know he nearly made my list? To be fair, so oh, I don't think I don't think you're crazy at all. I think if he gets his putter going, then happy days. He'll make a lot of birdies. Right, second pick for me. I've only got four. Is uh, Marcel Seam. Mm. Now, if you're provided with plenty of birdie opportunities, what do you need? You need a hot putter. And before the break, Marcel was topping the shots gained putting stats on tour. Winning the Hero Indian Open would have taken the pressure off this charismatic German. Now, that is not something I am used to saying, a charismatic German. But he's 66 to 1, Marcel Seam. And I think if he returns from the break, putting the way he was, then he's got a great chance at a good price. Absolutely. And I'm really sorry to all our German listeners. 4% of our listeners' value is from Germany, by the way. So, you know, Craig loves the Germans. He really does. And just hey, putting most that out. of them. Most of them would tell you, I've got a few German friends. They tell you they're not charismatic. <laughs> they're great engineers, but they ain't charismatic. Yeah, and they, right? love, they love a towel as well, don't they? So it's, yeah. Anyway, right. Can, can, <laughs> My comment was bad. Can, can, you, can you lay a towel over your picks? No, I don't know. Anyway, right, Marcel Seep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My second play. Move, move on. Move on. Swiftly move along the train. Um, yeah. My second pick this week is uh, an Australian who's not playing in live. It's Lucas Herbert. 
short at 20 to 1, but we know this guy's got a game and he is a winner. Um, I, I just think he's he's a standout in this field this week. And I do think he could have a very good, profitable week for sure. So he's my second play, Lucas Herbert. Yeah, I like Lucas as well. Right, third pick for me is Rafa. Rafa Cabrera Bayo. Whenever he's won, he's generally won making a lot of birdies. Mm. 20 under in Austria, 18 under in Dubai, 19 under in Spain. Hasn't played well since Thailand, but is a break under his belt. Hope he's charged his batteries up. I expect him to make a charge through the middle part of the season. And this classy Spaniard who can get the putter going is 110 to 1. It's huge. It's a massive price, and actually, uh, Rafa was on my shortlist, believe it or not. So, interesting angle that we've both looked at there this week. Okay, Rafa. Right, my third pick is a Chinaman. That's uh, not a cricket bowling reference, but it is a very good Chinaman on the DP World Tour and a winner on the DP World Tour. It's Ashen Wu. We know Ashen Wu has got a really strong game. Um, you know, and I think at a short course, this could be right up his street this week, and he's 60 to 1. I think that's a decent price about, you know, a guy that has got some really good form on the DP World Tour. So I'm going woo-woo with Ashen. Woo-woo on that train. Right, okay. My fourth and final pick for the ISPS is Andy Sullivan. Now, hey, I picked him a few weeks ago. And I think it was the work where when he played really well. Anyway, he's been working hard on his game and his head seems to be in a much better place. We know he can, right? And he showed a return to form with good finish at the work where we know he can get back to winning ways. He is sunken in the world golf rankings or well, most people on DP World Torres, but him even more so. When he won at Hanbury in the English Championship, he shot 27 under and in Portugal he shot 23 under. So we know he can get it going. And he's 15th on the put in charge. Put in charge? Charge. Charge. That's a German. I've got German as well, yeah. Oh, Dutch. Uh, he's 15th on the putting charts. Much better than last year when everything was going wrong for him and he was 130th on the putting charts. So we know his game is moving in the right direction. 100 to 1, Andy Sullivan, final pick. Yeah, interesting with Sully. We, you know, if you look at his social medias, he looks like he's enjoying life at the moment. He seems to be having a good time in different places and stuff. And he's... Yeah, he, he, he seems like there's elements of his game that are coming back. So, yeah, positivity and good swing, good putting stroke as needed. And who knows? Solid, a big price. What was he? 110 to 1? 100, well, 100 to 1 I got. But, yeah, I'm, one, sure you, I'm sure you can get much bigger on Betfair. Yeah, exactly. Right, OK. My fourth pick, why not when in Japan? Let's go with one. It's Kawamura. I think this guy is going to win this year on the DP World Tour. It may be this week. Who knows? But I, I think he's not that far off. And he's 55 to 1. I think, again, you know, you're probably looking for a home player. Um, you've obviously gone for one as well. So I've got one in my stable and I think he could go well this week. My final play, big price. This is not something I normally do, but it is a 225 to 1 shot. Oh, it's massive. Why have I done this? Right. Okay. So I looked at the tee times for round one. Okay. And there's only actually two, two of the three balls where two players from the same nationality have been lined up. Right. Every other of the three balls, they're all different nationalities. Right. So there's a couple of Japanese guys in with a Norwegian, Oliver Hunderbolt. Okay. That's one of the three balls. The other three ball I looked at contains two South Africans 
and a Japan a, a Japan guy, a Japanese, <laughs> is Bryce Easton is the South African. But the other one that's playing with him in this three ball, Justin Walters, 225 oh, to 1. He... And Justin Walters can be a birdie machine. So I'm taking he, a little he bit He can of be. Points. You've You've picked him enough times and no, you still exactly, haven't learned exactly. your lesson. Uh, okay. No, no, we're talking about Justin Harding. No, this is Justin uh, Walters. Oh, yeah, it's no no Julie, but Justin. But yeah, 225 to one. Perfect. I think it's hey, Justin, that's your that's your nickname, isn't it? Exactly. Justine. <laughs> right. Let's go through those picks again just to recap. Fire through your five. Okay, Karamora, Ashen Wu, Lucas Herbert, Justin Walters, and Bobby Mack. And for the ISPS, my picks are Rikuya Hoshino, Marcel Seem, Rafa Cabrera Bayo, and Andy Sullivan. Right, they're the picks for the ISPS. Hope you have fun, enjoy it. So glad DP World Tour is back. And obviously, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be at the Ryder Cup venue, Marco Simone, uh, just outside Rome. Right, let's head to the other tournament happening on the other side of the world. Another one. We're going to the Grange golf course live golf adelaide now i've looked at this i've done flyovers of this course i've looked at a lot of online it is probably the one of the most beautiful looking courses aesthetically pleasing to say the least now you're going to give me a bit of info i've looked at it i'm saying wide fairways and really testing green complexes should be very interesting what else can you tell us about the grains so we've got two courses at the Grange, the East and the West course. Now, this is the composite of the two courses that are making up this tournament this week. We've actually got the front nine is going to comprise the 9th, the 10th and the 12th to the 18th from the East course. And the back nine is going to be the back nine of the West. So that's what we've got this week. And that's going to give us a par 72 with just under 7,000 yards long. So again, for some of these big hitters, it's relatively mm. short course. However, however, this is a course that's going to have long rough. They've grown the rough out on this course. So I think we're going to see a bit of a strategic golf game this week. The greens are going to be firm and fast. You'd think that's right up Cam Smith. I thought you were going back to the Alliance then. You said, <laughs> give me a heart palpitation. <laughs> strategic Alliance. No, well, we have. We've got strategic Alliance of two courses. But um, yeah, firm as fast greens. You'd think Cam Smith is probably going to enjoy that this week. Maybe DJ as well. Um, DJ's already come out and said he absolutely loves the course. Maybe there's not one player that probably wouldn't say that. Um, we've got Mark Leishman, who's playing close to home this week in Adelaide. We've also got uh, the East Course, was actually the site of Greg Norman's first pro win back in 1976. Nice. So, as I say, we've got a composite of two courses. Um, in terms of a quick overview of the weather as well, we've got a, a sort of 8 to 20% chance of rain each day, each of the three days of this tournament. Uh, generally cloudy throughout the three days and the winds aren't going to be majorly strong, probably topping 10 miles an hour. So nothing really weather-wise, I don't think that's going to get in the way. But I say, you know, long rough, dog legs on some of the holes, a strategic course requirement and fast greens, firmer fast greens. That's what you're going to be looking at for players this week. We've got a lot of players on this 48-man lineup that are going to probably tick a load of those boxes. So from a betting point of view, I've gone with a couple. Uh, well, I've actually gone with three, actually, tell a lie. Is there anything else you want to say about the course, given that you've no, done all so this extensive about... flyovers? 
<laughs> no, not so much about the course, more about the, the tournament itself. You know, completely mm. sold out. They've got this um, stadium, um, stadium par three, very much like yeah. the Phoenix Open, um, the waste management. It's nothing now, like the hole at the Phoenix Open. No, no, as in the, the surrounded the, by Yeah, the, I know, but it's not the, as it's not as extensive as Phoenix, is it? I mean, let's be honest. No, but there's so much excitement in and around Adelaide, you know, sold out. It's going to be broadcast live and free on Network 7. For those that have got VPN or uh, different options on their smart tellies, you'll be able to get Network 7 to be able to watch that. Um, you can obviously watch it on the app, the CW app. And it's, look, it's going to be great. It seems like it's going to be a hell of a party. They've got Australian sensation DJ. I can't remember his name, but apparently he's meant to be good on the old decks. Wicka, 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 phone. Yeah. So, hey, look, I wish I was there. If I could go over there to Adelaide, I'd go and grab myself a, a kangaroo and a stick a prawn on the barbie and go and have a lot of fun. But Excellent. I'm not, but uh, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch what I can. Obviously, it's strange old time zone for us over here, but yeah, Greg's looking forward to it, obviously. And you know what? I would like to say something about he he was quoted, he was quoted um, on social media, saying my mission was to always bring an event to Australia to bring 48 of the best players. I don't know if you've done that, and this quality field has never been done before down to Australia regularly, where you could build true value. The PGA come in and rape and pillage strong words rape and pillage for one tournament what is it every 12 years and they suck it dry and leave we are a leader in so many different ways and we are leading so far ahead of the president's cup in delivering to australia now strong words as you'd expect from greg going back to australia but we know he's excited right have you got any picks i have i've gone with dj 14 to 1 i've gone with danny lee New Zealander, 40 to 1. And I've gone with Lee Westwood, 100 to 1. Do you know what? I think Lee Westwood is getting so fit and lean. He looks good. I don't think his golf game's that far off. I think 100 to 1 is a really enticing price. So then, more Lees in the Chinese phone book in your picks. Well, they are my three picks this week. DJ, well, Lee and Lee. <laughs> well, I've got Lee Lee. I've got, um, I've got Lefty and Cameron Smith. And I've gone for Lefty because... It, He's obviously, it's no masters. He played very, very well, but he said he just felt like his game was back and he's going to go on a tear up soon. This course sounds like it could be right up his street again. Not, not that long, but also, you know, fast greens. It's going to be a tricky around the green game. You've said that about Cameron Smith, who's also a player I'm going to go for. So lefty and Cameron Smith for me on my two picks team wise. I'm just going to say lefty's going to drag his team right up there. I know Piot, Steele and Tringale, Got it. 22 to 1, though. You can get in the first three a quarter of the odds. So you're looking at over 5 to 1 for high flyers to be in the top three. I don't think that's bad value, to be honest. I don't think they're going to fly high at all. I think the four aces are going to win this week. That's my aces! personal opinion. Right. Okay. Well, do you know what? I've enjoyed that. It's flown by, absolutely flown by. I love the discussion on that Keith Pelly interview, and we look forward to more coming out of that and talking about it again next week. Obviously, we will be reviewing this week's tournaments and we'll be previewing next week's tournaments for the DP World Tour, bro. We are heading to Korea. So we'll be in Korea for the DP World Tour. On the PGA Tour is Grab Your Tacos, and your maracas, because they're heading over to Vedanta. 
for the Mexican Open. And we've got another lot of events as Liv go to Singapore. So three events again next week. A lot to discuss, a lot to go through again. And we can't wait to be back putting music into your ears. <laughs> love that absolutely love that listen what one final mention because i know we do have we do have a, a 18 of our listeners are female which is absolutely brilliant so that's all four of them and um it's the lpga first major of the year this week in texas at the club at carlton woods which is another jack nicholas design back in 2001 so just a, a quick mention there to the ladies the first major of the year i'm sure it'd be brilliant the ladies game is going great guns at the moment and i think and apparently um, jack nicholas says it's the best golf course in texas uh, apparently that's what he says yeah but i think <laughs> but i think canadian brooke henderson is probably going to feature quite high this week so yeah first major of the year for the ladies good luck to them Oh, can't wait for that. When did you say that is? This week. All right. Okay. Can't wait. Um, right, guys, that's been Bros and Birdies. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to getting back to you next week. So from me, it's goodbye. And from me, it's goodbye too. Ciao, ciao. Now, this, this really is beyond a joke now. He's, he's, he's gone gaga because this is, uh, this is quite... I've never seen anything like it before. And to attempt to hit the ball out of there is pure madness.